You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. All right, Acts chapter 1. Ready to go? One person is sort of maybe. Acts chapter 1, starting out a new ministry year, starting out a new sermon series that's going to honestly last us all year long. We're going to spend the whole year in the book of Acts uh, with a couple, four sub-series in here. We just really want to get out of this book all that we have from God. If you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up. One of our ushers will be happy to get a copy of God's Word in your hands. I'm excited about this series, though. I'm really excited for this reason, because I think back to when we started, and think back to the passion we had as a church, think back to the, the enthusiasm and the longing we had for God to really work in a way that only He can. It brings me back to the book of Acts. Acts is a significant book in the life of a church. In fact, it was the book of Acts that really spurred me on to be a church planter. As I read the book of Acts years ago, I was in a ministry role going like, this is what God wants for the church? Like, I'm not seeing that in the church I'm in. You mean, you mean God can really work like that in a church? Well, I want to be a part of that kind of church. And that really spurred us on to leave everything that we knew and had in another ministry and, and start brand new with absolutely nothing, just with this, this hope and this prayer that God, would you take the pages off of this book and make them alive in your people? That was our prayer. We came here with just, just this book and, and saying, God, bring us around a, a people that aren't really into this country club sort of idea of church because, you know, where it's all about like social relationships and not into this community center kind of thing where it's, it's simply about getting my felt needs met and being entertained a little bit and give us people with a heart for the purposes of God. That's all we wanted. And as a core group, just so you know, a lot of you haven't, weren't here five years ago. As a core group, you know how we started? We started in Brian's living room on our faces saying, God, make us a church like the book of Acts. We don't care about anything else. We don't care about fancy buildings. We don't care about big paychecks. We don't care about claim or fame. fame. We just want to be a church that sees the power of God work. Because if we have that, man, then this is the church that you designed and ordained. And, And I'm excited to hit the reset button on that. I'm excited to getting us back as a church to what matters most in our lives and why we exist as a church. And uh, I just realized that some of you joined us like one year in, two years in, three years in, four years in. Some of you just joined us this past year. I want to get you back to the heart of what God wants for his church, the heart of what we want to be about as God's people. And I'm praying that God will never allow the message of his word to ever grow cold and stale in our hearts. For if it does, we may as well just go home and not do this anymore. I think God has bigger things for us than just coming in and doing superficial church. And the book of Acts helps us remember this. And so we're just going to dive into this book, Acts chapter 1, obviously. If we're going to read the book of Acts, starting at Acts 1 today. And we're praying that God will use this mightily in your life and in our church to really fuel us to making a lasting God impact in the lives of those around us. So to understand Acts, before we get to the actual text, I just want to give you a quick rundown of what this book looks like and what this book is about Oh, we start a new sermon series. I want to give you the context of where we're going. And so here's some keys to understanding Acts before we get into the text. Some keys to understanding Acts. See the title? It says Acts of the Apostles, right? It's right in your Bible. Acts of the Apostles. This should actually more appropriately read something like this. This is the Acts of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his apostles and his people. 
So it's good, the apostles are good guys, but it's really not about the apostles at all. It's about the power of God to enact within his people to be his church and make an impact. And it's a key book in the Bible to help you understand where it fits into the whole Bible. Here's where it goes. Old Testament. You think Old Testament. Old Testament is the prophets and the people of God longing for and looking for a Messiah Jesus, right? Everything's pointing to Jesus. It's Jesus is coming. And then the Gospels come, New Testament. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the account of Jesus' life. What was Jesus like? What did he do? How did he live life? What does ministry look like? That's captured in the Gospels. First-hand accounts of Jesus. And then we have Acts, which sort of swings us, transitions us from the age of Jesus physically present to the church age. And it's sort of the transition book. It's a key transition. Like the, the hinges of the door open to a whole new era with Jesus being in heaven and us being here. And what happens next? And then the epistles all go from Romans to the end of Jude, are all kind of unpacking that for us. So Acts kind of swings the door open, the epistles unpack. How do we live in light of Jesus' return? And, and what are we supposed to be like as Christians and waiting for Jesus? And then, of course, Revelation then comes at the end, and it shows us what Jesus is going to look like and what the whole end thing's going to be and the revelation of Jesus and all who he is. But the point is, Acts is a pivotal book for us as we understand what it is to be the church it's an important book summarized by four words. They're not on the screen, but you can write them down. Here's the four words that we're going to learn over and over. Introductory message, right? So I'm not unpacking it all today, but here's the four words we're going to see over and over and over through this book. It's promise, purpose, power, and progress. It's the church. God's promises being fulfilled in his people as he empowers them to a purposeful existence of expanding his movement here on earth. Promise, purpose, power, and progress. And so let's get to it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. A book written by Paul, or sorry, written by Luke, who is a partner, ministry partner of Paul, a physician who loved Jesus and wrote a compelling, orderly, intelligent, informative account of his life. It's not a book scribbled by an average Joe. Luke was an educated, respected guy. And who's who he wrote to? In the first book, O Theophilus, verse 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it's Luke writing this book, the, the physician partner of Paul, walked with Paul on journeys and, and maybe had first-hand accounts of Jesus, but he's writing all these things. He's not a dumb man. He's like a pretty smart guy and you know, a guy that we should probably listen to, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's writing to Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? We honestly don't know. It's some guy that obviously was pretty important in that day and maybe even a, a high-ranking official or something. He's oh, excellent, Theophilus. But ultimately, Theophilus means this. It means beloved by God. And so this book, if you want to narrow it down, is written to all those who are followers of Jesus Christ, beloved by God. And Luke's writing to us a second volume of a first book. See that? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach me. There's another book. There's another book besides the Bible. No, it's another book in the Bible. Guess what book Luke wrote other than Acts? Come on, guess. Good for you. <laughs> it wasn't a trick question. I'm sure you go, what? He wrote Luke. And so Luke wrote Luke to tell us all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke documents the life and the happenings and the times of Jesus Christ. And at the end of Luke, chapter 24, he kind of starts transitioning to Acts. 
And so really what Acts is, it's a continuation of the life of Christ. Well, we don't see Christ in Acts. Yes, but we see him in Acts because clearly in chapter 1 here, he's showing us that although Jesus is gone in heaven right now on the throne beside the Father, he is still actively working through the power of the Holy Spirit in his people. So really what, what Luke does with these two volumes, Luke being volume 1, Acts being volume 2, he is painting us a complete picture of Jesus' perfect plans, purposes, and promises for the church. And uh, it's really stuff that we can learn from and stuff that we can grow in and stay on focus with. And so Luke, why did Luke, why did Luke write these? Luke wrote us to remind us of what God's, ultimately what God's mission is for the church. This is why God, Luke wrote Acts to show us how the church started, what it was like, to show us what the mission is for the church. We see that clearly in chapter 1, verse 3. Luke wrote this to remind us that Jesus is alive and fired up for his kingdom today. Luke wrote this so that we would know that Jesus is not dead and he has a purpose for us as his people. So he's writing this book in the 40 days between the day he resurrected and the day that he is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he is, he is presenting himself, it says in verse 3, alive to them, which is his people, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Something we can learn from, from this already, is that, that Jesus is alive and fired up for his kingdom. It's amazing when Jesus died and he rose again, it wasn't just a quick encounter like a, hey, I'm alive, rose again. You know what he spent the next 40 40 days doing? Home visits to his people. He's like, hey, I'm alive and this is so significant, not just for you, but for every generation that's ever going to come after you, that I'm going to spend 40 days here on earth presenting myself alive before my people. So he'd show up in the most random of places to the people that he loved the most. In fact, in one, he showed up to the disciples. In fact, in one occurrence in 1 Corinthians 15, we find that Jesus showed up at a party of up to like 500 people just so that people wouldn't be like, is he really dead? Is he alive? We really don't know. Well, 500 people all saw him with their eyes and heard him with their ears. That's pretty significant. Why would he do that? So that we wouldn't sit here today and be like, is Jesus dead? Is Jesus alive? Well, I don't know. There's theories out there. No, Jesus is alive. And what was he doing when he presented himself to those people? He wasn't just like, Hey, I'm alive. Let's now reminisce over all the things that we went through together. Remember those good times back then? You know what he was doing when he presented himself alive to his people? He was talking about the kingdom of God. Look what it says here. He's proving himself over and over, appearing to them 40 days, during 40 days, and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He's presenting himself alive to them, and, and what's the topic of conversation? Hey, get this, get this. The kingdom of God is real. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? The eternal rule of God is is established in heaven and it's being established in every heart that bows and confesses the name Jesus Christ. So all that Jesus could talk about, of all the topics he could talk about, all he could talk about was the kingdom of God. He was so excited that his disciples didn't miss this reality that there's something greater to this life than everything we see. It's the kingdom of God. Eternal rule of Christ. It's significant because as I thought about this, as I studied this, uh, it wouldn't be the, the, the conversation I expect Jesus to have with his people, to be honest. Whenever we go out and leave our kids with a babysitter, you know what we do? Even though they're like, okay, here's the deal, guys. 
Be good. Listen well. Go to bed on time. Mind your P's and Q's. You know, all the stuff that you'd expect. Remember when I was a kid, my dad would have a list this long. Of which we just threw out when he left. <laughs> but he still presented it, right? But Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff with his disciples and with his people. He doesn't give them, okay, here's what you do now. Here's how you got to live. Here's what's supposed to be. Just keep this in mind, people. If you remember the kingdom of God, everything else will fall into place. If you remember you're only here for a short time, if you remember that there's something greater beyond, everything else will fall into place. Don't get sidetracked with other stupid stuff. Just focus on the kingdom of God and you'll find yourself right exactly where I want you to be. And so we see Jesus. He he has this heart. He's fired up about building his kingdom. And that's the best you share with his people. Hey, just, just build my kingdom. Just build my kingdom. Speaking about the kingdom of God. What's it like? What's it going to be like? What's it like now in your hearts? Reference six times this kingdom thing in Acts. The, the sovereign rule over all the earth. Just want to stop here because I got to verse three and I was like, man, if this is that important to Jesus, then this should be that important to us, don't you think? I couldn't get past verse three as I was studying. I was like, well, Wow, like, the kingdom is important to God. Not that's rocket science. You guys are like, I get that. But the question that comes to me is, is the kingdom of God as important to me as it was Jesus Christ? Think about your own life. If God were here before us today, you know what he'd say? He'd say, focus on the kingdom of God. Love the kingdom of God. Look for the kingdom of God. Is, is that really what's driving and defining your life, the kingdom of God? Are you just fired up with the kingdom of God as God is fired up about the kingdom of God? We probably all have a Christian answer, like, yeah, well, for sure. But think about it. What really fires you up? Oftentimes, it's not the kingdom of God that fires us up. It's our own kingdoms that fire us up. If only I could build up myself an empire. If only I could have a little more in my bank account. If only I could have some more friends. Or, or if only I could get some more thrills out of life and fulfill my bucket list that I planned when I was like 17. If only I could do some of those things. If only I could be safe and comfy inside my little Christian cocoon, then, then I'd be a successful Christian life. And really, that's not it at all. God's a successful Christian life is one that loves the Lord and focuses on his kingdom. It's not about making friends. It's about focusing on the kingdom of God. Even in our church, I realize that we, we can get so distracted from the kingdom of God. Can't we? Start coming to church and we have no thought of the kingdom of God blowing in here on a Sunday morning. We, we blow in here thinking, well, I hope my felt needs are met. I hope the pastor's half good today and I hope David does a good job today and hopefully people talk to me because it's really all about... I'm not really expecting to have the kingdom of God put in my heart through the word of God. I'm not expecting to express my heart of worship to God through, through worship. I'm... Is it about the kingdom of God? I realize churches can start strong in the kingdom of God and then fade quickly. I've watched it over and over in ministry. It's been a long time in ministry. Now, 20 years, I've watched churches start strong in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, like two years later, it's like, where'd that go? Oh, I am praying hard this year that this never happens to us. That we never end up just doing church, but the kingdom of God means absolutely in our hearts. We miss the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. We miss the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is that we be focused on the things that matter most. His eternal rule in us and through us. This is why he gives us, in the next few verses, a promise and a purpose. This is why he gives us a promise and a purpose. Look at verse 4. 
Look at verse 4. And while saying, and staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Anytime Jesus orders somebody to not do something, it's probably pretty important that you don't do it, right? Right? And so he orders his disciples, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you do this, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But get this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said these things, he said it all. And so as they were looking on, as they were watching him, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. Well, they're gazing into heaven. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Like, what are you doing? What are you looking at? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is pretty significant for us. Because Jesus doesn't just give his people a command to and an excitement for the kingdom of God. But he also promises the Holy Spirit to help us to make it happen within us that we might be fulfilled and aligning with his purposes. Jesus promises here in Acts 1 that he's going to give us someone to not just be our coach in kingdom things, but to make his kingdom your priority. You're sitting here today and you're like, well, I'd love to be kingdom focused. I just can't seem to do it. Well, good news. God promises that he will give you everything you need to make the kingdom a priority in your hearts and in our church. So in fact, you don't have to go out and try harder to do this. You have to surrender to the spirit of God and let him do this in you. He's the only personal trainer that can make you strong. And this is a promise that he's been giving his people. His people look forward to this day, this time, when the Holy Spirit would actually be given to them. They've been looking forward to this for a long time. Joel in the Old Testament was like, hey, there's a day coming when God is going to pour out his spirit on all people, and it's going to be awesome. As referenced here, Luke was talking about this. He was, he was chirping about the Holy Spirit in an excited way since Luke 3.16. Luke 3.16, Luke came or sorry, John the Baptist came, and he's been talking with John the Baptist came, and he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what they're referencing here, John baptizing with water. And there's a greater baptism coming. John is basically saying this, I'm going to baptize you with an external baptism that reflects to the world your faith in Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come and transform your inner being the very core of who you are, and that will be an even greater sign of your life in Christ. You think this baptism thing is cool? Oh, you just wait till the Holy Spirit comes. This is just an outward sign. You're going to be changed from the inside out. John the Baptist was, Joel was preaching it. John the Baptist was preaching it. Jesus, Jesus God plans on purpose. They're all J's. Joel, John the Baptist, and then Jesus. Three J's. Luke 24, 49, he gathered his disciples after his resurrection. He said this to them in verse 49. I am sending the promise of my father to clothe you with power from on high. 
It's a picture of God actually equipping his people and his church to be about his kingdom. New Testament, they knew if they had the Holy Spirit, they had it all. John, John chapter 16, Jesus says, hey, if, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to leave. They're like, no, no, don't go. Actually, it's going to be better for you that I leave. Because then you'll have God not just with you, but God within you to accomplish my purposes. And this is the game changer for the disciples. This here is, this is why Jesus is saying, wait for the promise. Don't do anything yet about the kingdom. Just wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. When you have the promise, you can, you'll be unloaded on the earth to accomplish kingdom work. But wait for the promise because with the promise comes supernatural power. Verse 6, the disciples here are thinking, okay, this is an earthly kingdom. This is something that God's going to do with Israel. And so they came, so they're like, okay, this is now. God's going to make Israel the thing. And is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? God doesn't chastise them. He's just like, you're asking the wrong question, fellas, like they did so often, right? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. Say, guys, don't, don't get caught in looking up and waiting for all this stuff to happen. Just, just simply look out, and, and when you get the power, then you'll have the, the, the purpose comes with the power, and the purpose is to be my witnesses. This word power is important for us to understand if we're going to get the fullness of what Jesus is talking about here in his, his commission to his people. Power is used seven times in Acts to refer to the supernatural ability to work miracles in connection with gospel proclamation. And the word power comes from the Greek word dynamis. Can you think of a word that sounds like dynamis in English? Dyna, dynamite. You know where dynamite came from? You might have heard of this guy before. His name was Alfred Nobel. Nobel Prize, maybe. Way back when, he discovered a power stronger than anything the world had ever known up to that point. So he went to one of his Greek scholar buddies. He's like, hey, what's, what's the Greek word for power? He's like, dynamis. He's like, perfect. That's what I'm calling my invention. He called it dynamite. Interesting just side fact that the guy who invented dynamite, we have a Nobel Peace Prize, but go figure. But dynamite. Think of what dynamite can do. Dynamite can bring down the biggest building. Dynamite can leave a crater-sized hole in the earth. Jesus is promising his disciples a supernatural dynamite power that is going to well up within them through the Holy Spirit, that is going to cause them to do things that they could not possibly do in their own wisdom and their own strength. This power is going to enable them to leave a crater-like mark of impact for God's glory on this earth. This power is a supernatural inner explosion of God's activity that is going to completely blow your life all apart in a good way and change everything for the glory of God. Power to love God. Power to live victoriously over sin. Power to exemplify the qualities of Christ. Power to stay focused on God's purposes. 
power to influence others through your witness and ministry, power to overcome the enemy and persecution and be faithful to the end, power to proclaim the gospel in everything that you do and everything that you say for the glory of God. This is the power that God has bestowed upon not just his people then, but every believer now. That's crazy, don't you think? This is the power that God has put within each of us to live a purposeful and impactful life for as long as we have. I read this and the question that pops in my mind is like, then where's this power? No? I want this power, but like, well, where, where is it? Do, do, I, do I know this power on an everyday basis? I sometimes find myself waking up in the morning and it doesn't feel like I have any power. It feels like the opposite. I don't have anything left inside of me. So where does this power come from? This power comes from God and every believer is God's people humble themselves and seek his face and surrender their lives to him and ask that God's purposes would be done in your lives, not your own. You know why we miss out on the power? that God is offering us here so often? I think because we, we want the power, all right, but we want, want it for our own stuff. Oh, God, give me power. Give me power. Give me power to be the better athlete or give me power to get good marks in school or give me power to, like, understand my business partner. Give me power to, to make this thing move forward or, or power to, right? And yet the power that God gives us is the power for this, is the power to live lives, the lives of Christ, and make an eternal difference in those around us. That's what God's power is for. And so we, we want the power, but we ask for it in the wrong way and want to apply it to the wrong things. But when we humble ourselves and say, okay, God, I am done with me now. I'm done with my life and doing the things that I think are best. And I, I just want you and your power and purpose in my life, guess what God is going to do? God is going to unload it upon you that you would be his witnesses to the world around you. Jesus' supreme purpose for us, we're going to see here in verse 8, is to be his witnesses. You'll see a cyclical pattern all through Acts. It's God's people asking for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming, and then the next thing that happens after the Holy Spirit comes is the power to evangelize and share their faith and then opposition comes and then they call to God for rescue and he rescues a cyclical pattern it's it's Holy Spirit bold proclamation opposition rescue why does God empower his people why what does God empower his church to do it's not just to come here and sing songs on a Sunday I assure you of that it's not just to come and high five each other and tell each other oh you're awesome no 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 you're awesome no you're more awesome than I'm awesome that's not what it's for it's not it's not to have group hugs It's that our lives would reflect the glory of God and make a difference in those around us. That we'd be his witnesses. Look at Acts 1.8. This is the theme of the whole book of Acts. But we receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witness, in fact, comes up in Acts 29 times as a noun or a verb. This is the nail that God pounds deep in Acts. You're to be my witnesses. What's your primary purpose as believers? We're to worship Christ and be his witnesses. What is our life about as Christians? To worship Christ and be his witnesses. In fact, this is an outline for the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 to 5. 
church being witnesses in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 6 to 12, the church being witnesses beyond Jerusalem, Acts chapter 13 to 28, the end is, is to the ends of the earth. It all comes down to this. Jesus is essentially doing to his disciples here what we did with David and with Brett this morning. He's laying hands on them and he's commissioning them to his work and his service to be the witnesses of the hands and the lips and the feet of Jesus. If you get on this page, disciples, I will empower you to do it. Get this. Just like you saw David and Kayla and Brett and Bree up here this morning. This is what Jesus Christ wants to do with each one of your lives. He, if he was here today, he'd be calling all you up here to get on your knees and humbly submit to his plan to be his witnesses, that, he would, that you'd be gospel proclaimers around the world. It's not a pastor gig or an elder gig to be witnesses. This is a body of Christ thing that if you're saved today, when you got saved, you got low before God and you said, God, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. And oh my goodness, I need you to change my life from the inside out. That's when, while you're on your knees, are you what Jesus did? He put his hands on you and he says, and, and, and while you're down there, I commission you now to go and be my witnesses. And this is a good thing. This is an exciting thing to, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Think about it. What does a witness do? A witness shares what you see. I've been a witness before on police reports. I saw accidents. Hey, tell me, what you, tell me what you saw. I'll tell you what I saw. This is what happened. That's what a witness is. A witness is also one who, who verifies the, that what has happened is true. Did a wedding last week, and each, the bride and groom had a witness on either side of them, and they were like, did this really happen? Yep, really happened. Yep, really happened. A witness tells what's, what's actually happened and true. Think about lawyers. What do lawyers get? They get star witnesses, right? Star witnesses, what do they do? They come in, in the courtroom at the right time and they sit, in their, they sit in their place. They tell the story the way it's supposed to be told and it blows the whole thing open, right? And it changes the whole game plan for that whole courtroom. Jesus Christ has called us to be his witnesses, to, to tell what we've seen and experienced in Jesus, to verify all the facts of Jesus are true, to be the star witness of Jesus to the world around us, to come in and break people's lives wide open with the truth of the gospel. To be the game changer. Until some of you are thinking, well, this doesn't sound like a fun deal. This is an amazing thing. This isn't the witness of like, oh, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and now you get called into court to be a witness and I really don't, I'm part of a story I really don't want to be a part of. This isn't that kind of witness. This is a like, I've seen Jesus. He's completely changed me from the inside out. Like, how can I keep this in? This is like, I saw a shooting star and like, oh, wow. This, this is the kind of witness it is. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's actually the same kind of witness Jesus was when he came to earth. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus wants us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth like he was. Luke nineteen ten. why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save the lost. Luke four forty three. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent with this purpose, Jesus says. What did Jesus say? I must preach. I can't help but preach. I'm compelled to preach. This is why I was sent. And then John reminds us in 17.10, as Jesus' own words, God, as you have sent me, I have sent them into the world. What for? To be missionaries. Second Corinthians 5.20, we're to be ambassadors of Christ, appealing to others to be reconciled to God. You know what the early believers saw themselves as? Missionaries. 
uneducated, regular people, but they saw themselves as like, I'm a missionary. This is my purpose. This is what I get, I get to do. People saw the urgency of the gospel and the amazing reality of a savior that changes lives. And so God entrusted the whole building of his church to a little group of people in Jerusalem. He said, okay, now start in Jerusalem and then expand. Go to Judea and Samaria, the next phase, and then the next phase is the ends of the earth. Jesus commissioning us to the same thing. Hey, right where you are right now, be a witness. Right where you are right now, be a witness in your context. I used to think of it in this way, well, if it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, like a concentric circle, well, then it must be like in my city, in my province, in my country. And how am I going to be a witness in my country? I'm just a little guy here. But I read a book a few years ago that changed the whole way I think about these concentric circles. They are concentric circles of start here and let it grow. But the concentric circles that Oscar Thompson, you can put those on there. The concentric circles that Oscar Thompson helped me realize is this is, I think, what God wants us to, to be and do as his witnesses. He wants us to have concentric circles in our lives and sharing the gospel and being people who, who, who reach out with the gospel. It starts right here with me. In my heart, do I really get the gospel, the fullness of what Christ is, who Christ is and what he's done? And if I do, then I got to start praying for my family, the people that I talk to and walk with every day. Your family's like mine. Sometimes you want to escape them, but you can't. They'd say the same thing. Don't worry. They're all like, mm-hmm. Why can't you escape them for a reason? Because God wants you to be his witness in their lives. I get it. It's hardest in our families, but one theologian said it this way, the light that shines the brightest at home is the one that's going to shine the furthest. Start praying for opportunities. Let me, let me be a witness for those in my family. Let me be a witness then to my relatives. We all have relatives. Again, we, we're born into a family. We don't choose. We have them, whether you like it or not. Start praying for those in your, in your relations, your relatives. Like, help me share Christ with my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, what about your friends that you hang out with on a consistent basis, those that you rub shoulders with and you enjoy? Like, when was the last time you witnessed to them? What about your acquaintances, the people you do life with, your coworkers, and maybe your neighbors, and maybe the people that you cross paths with with your dog on the street or the Timmy's person, the same one you get coffee from every single day or the guy that pumps your gas every single day? Like, these are the people that God has put in your life on purpose that you would be his witnesses. That's your commission, like the church in... Early church, their commission was to reach out to everybody they knew. That's our commission as well. And what about the guests that God brings into our lives? The, just the random people, the conversations that we didn't expect, the people that maybe we wouldn't hang out with on a normal basis, but we find ourselves sitting beside them in a doctor's office or standing behind them in line. Like, let me ask you this. Clearly, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what God's called us to do, right? You can see that I'm not making this up. You will be my witnesses. If, if you're truly saved, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to make this flow out of you. Are you a witness for Jesus? Are you really a witness for Jesus? If we miss the witness for Jesus part, then we miss the whole purpose part. We miss the whole purpose part, and guess what? We may as well go home. We're not being the church that God called us to be. He doesn't call us to holy huddles. He calls us to be witnesses. First time I read that Oscar Thompson book, I was in ministry as a pastor, not living this out really well. And I was so challenged by it. I'm like, man, this is what, if this is the way the gospel moved in the New Testament, I want to see the gospel move this way in my life. 
So I started making a list of all my family that didn't know Christ, all my friends, all my relatives that didn't know Christ, all my, you know, the, the concentric circles. Started making lists and started praying through them. And, okay, God, if this is what you say, then I want to see this happen because I don't want to sit through my life a whole lifetime and not see the fullness of this book come alive in me. When you know it, within like a week and a half, God brought one of my uncles back into our lives who also had a special needs child and we had a special needs child and just a weird way. And I got to share my faith with him. Within a week and a half of starting to pray that God, would you make me a witness for you to the loss that you've put in my life? Oscar Thompson says this. I don't know he'll do the same for you if you'd be willing to get on that plan. Oscar Thompson says this. The gospel moves through relationships. God has a plan and holds you accountable for every person he brings into your sphere of influence. There are people in all of your circles whom you touch every single day who need the gospel. When was the last time you witnessed? It's my job as a believer. It's not my job to be the witness of this church. We're called to this together. Find yourself stale in the faith right now. You know what I bet you it is? Because you haven't witnessed in a long time. Whenever I get stale in my faith, you know what it takes to rock me out of my staleness? Sharing Christ with somebody around me. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit just motivates you and propels you forward in that. When is the last time you're a witness? We talk about witness all the time. One of our pillars that used to be up here to the back now is, is we're, we're, we're boldly evangelizing. We're, we're a church that boldly evangelizes. We're a church that boldly evangelizes. Are we? Are we really? I get it. Three things hold us back. I get it. Fear. We're preoccupied. And we're indifferent. Those are three big things that hold us back from evangelizing and being witnesses. Let me ask you this. How many years are you going to continue walking in, fa- in fear of sharing your faith? When God promises power of the Holy Spirit to enable us, how long are you going to keep walking in faith? The day is now that we stop walking in fear and walk in faith in our witness for Jesus Christ. How how long are we going to continue walking in our preoccupation with our other things, not even caring about those around us who are, let's be honest, dying and going to hell? But I got my thing to do, and I'm on my way here, and I got this to do, and I got whatever. I got the game to watch. I got the... How many years are you going to allow that to dominate your life before you get in on God's plan of what he wants to do in your life and in our church? I guess some of us are doing this to you. Amen. Keep going. But these hit us all in some way, time, or avenue in our lives. Let me ask you this one. How, how long are we going to allow uh, ourselves to walk in indifference towards those who so desperately need Jesus and just be content? Well, I got Jesus. I know where I'm going. That's good enough for me. We're, we're all good. If we have the Holy Spirit, he gives us a heart and a concern for others and a desire to share our faith. This isn't a task. It's not a chore. This is our greatest honor to be God's spokespeople. I'm amazed at the grace of God. I can't help but show that. It's also our highest purpose. There's no better way to invest your time and your energy. There's nothing greater to talk about than the love and the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Eternity is real. The message is important. We need to be a church that's on the page of Jesus. 
We need to be a church that doesn't come here for any other reason than to be filled up that we might then go out and be the witnesses of Christ. You miss the witness part, you miss the purpose for your life. We miss the witness part in our church and guess what? Holy Spirit leaves. We come become just a regular group of people meeting together, doing all the superficial religious things and not seeing the power of God move. You know, you know the greatest thing about being a pastor is seeing the power of God move in people's lives. I'm praying for more salvations this year. Are you? I'm praying for more baptisms this year than we've ever seen yet. We've had a lot. Are you? Why am I so excited about this? Because... I just believe this is the moment that God has put within our hearts to hit a reset button and get back to the passion of Christ for the church, the, the mission of Christ for the church. Because I've seen so many churches start strong and fizzle and fail. And I am not just deathly afraid that that would happen to us, but I am so deeply longing that that doesn't happen to us. That we would constantly be alive with the life-giving truth of Jesus and seeing God do things in us and through us that can only be attributed to God. That's what we prayed for at the beginning. God, do things in our church that can only be attributed to you. We stand here today. God has done things in our church that can only be attributed to him. Amen? As God's people get on his mission. That's how it's happened. So important to Jesus. It's his last words. See that? His last words are this. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, when he had finished saying these things, it's his last words, just like Matthew 28, his last words were, go and make disciples. Here his last words are, you'll be my witnesses. After he said these things, they were looking on. He was sort of like, he's standing there, they're like, probably profound, like, wow. Jesus sort of starts levitating a little bit. A cloud comes and it's gone. Leaves his disciples going like, two guys in white robes, probably angels came along like, what are you guys looking at? Mouth gaping like, what are you guys looking at? The same, that's Jesus, obviously. The same Jesus that went up, he's going to come back in the exact same way. Kind of like, okay, boys, get after it. Stop looking, stop staring around, looking in the sky. Get going. It's your purpose. You got a promise. There's people that need to be ready when he comes back. Our church is called to be a lighthouse to the world around us. I believe we are doing that, but I believe the danger is that we become something other than what God has for us. In closing, let me read you this story that really drums home the point that I'm trying to make. It's a powerful reminder that we need to keep our focus on the mission of Jesus. We need to keep our focus on the mission of Jesus. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's been in Christian circles for a long time. I've heard many a preacher use it. I didn't write it. I'll give you that. But here it is. It's a parable of the life-saving station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought of for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with this, uh, with this station and give up their time and money and effort for the support of this work. New boats were bought. New crews were trained. A little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy, though, that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. 
They felt that a more comfortable place should be, should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea to, on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work for them. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some had skin of a different color. Some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The next meetings, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activity as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that the life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed, that they pointed out that they were still called to, a, to be a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that they wanted to save the life of all various lives of all kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters. They could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. Was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. What a tragedy. What a documentary on, I believe, the church in North America. I don't believe we're there. But I believe we have to fight to not be there and stay in on Christ's mission for our lives and our church. Let's together ask God, would you fuel us and rekindle a fire for what matters most in the church? This is it. And there's too much at stake just to leave here and walk out the door and not care. Let's ask that God drives this deep that we would all, starting today, be committed to asking the power of the Holy Spirit to make us fruitful witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater you can spend your life on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this powerful picture of the commissioning of the disciples to be on Jesus Christ's mission. Father, I pray that you'd find us a faithful church to the mission that you have set out before us. God, I pray you'd find every person in this room, first and foremost, saturated themselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, if that's the case, then I pray you'd find us empowered by the Holy Spirit to live differently than the world and to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to those around us. God, I pray that you put within us a, a longing to see souls saved, a longing to see lives transformed by the gospel, a longing to be used of this life, not for our own stuff, but for your kingdom, O oh God. Would you stir in this afresh, God? Would you stir in this anew? Would you find our church like you did five years ago, all of its people, all of its people on their knees, passionately calling out to God, saying, God, use us for the work of the ministry. That's all we care about. That's all we want. We want to be used for the work of the ministry and seeing people changed forever. Would you make this happen in us, God? We realize that this, this mission fades from us. We may as well close our doors and go home. 
But instead, oh God, I pray that you would do a work in us to bring us all to this place, be on this page, that we'd make our lives count for your glory. Life is short. Only one thing that matters, Jesus Christ and the gospel. Amen.